Today we're going to look at what I think is the hardest word of this entire series. In fact, um, it's going to affect your pride, I have a feeling. It's a word that many of us really struggle with. It's a word for us to actually say. In fact, I think for some of you, you're not going to like to say it at all. But the word is sorry. And throughout this crisis, we have each been kind of cooped up in each of our homes. And as we have, there have been other people who have gotten on our nerves. I mean, it's all those other people that really should be saying they're sorry. You know, parents, kids, your boss, somebody else. Now, you don't need to say you're sorry, but some of them really need to apologize for their behavior and action. And maybe you're looking at them in the room right now. But what about you? Is there anything maybe at all that you need to say you're sorry for? Now, when I say sorry, I'm not talking about the board game sorry that some of you may have been playing. I'm not talking about saying sorry just to get somebody off your back. What I'm talking about uh, is kind of a deep kind of self-examination of your own life, that you would be brutally honest and be able to look at your life and kind of say, you know what, there are these couple of things that I probably should say that I'm sorry for, and for you to be able to do that, to, to be honest and to come clean and to make things right. My wife, Jennifer, as some of you know, is a physician in our community, and we're so grateful uh, for all of our frontline health providers. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, but being a physician, there are many perks uh, with our family that comes with that, but sometimes there's some disadvantages as well. Last week, my youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, came into the house after playing outside, and she didn't really uh, notice anything, but uh, as her mom was looking at her foot, they were sitting on the uh, couch together, she noticed that there was something in her foot, and she goes, Shiloh, I think you have a splinter. And uh, most of the time, it would be no big deal. You just kind of pop it out. But it was very deep. And honestly, if we weren't in the situation that we're in right now, you probably would have went to the ER or to a physician's office. But when you have Dr. Bunch in your house, uh, it's really not uh, something she's going to do. And so she looked at it a little bit more, and this is what she said. She said, I can take that out. And then after that, she brought out all of her instruments. She brought out a scalpel, a needle, syringe, forceps, lidocaine, saline, and some gauze. And when Shiloh saw all of these items on this tray, she freaked out. Now, at this point, my wife says, well, we're going to have to do this on the kitchen table. And so she went ahead and uh, put Shiloh on the table, and she goes, you calm her down. Me calm her down? Like, I'm not the one that even asked to do this. I would have let it go, but no, she wanted it done. So we're on this kitchen table, or Shiloh is, and I'm at the end with her head, and she's crying, and the first you know, shot goes in, and she's bawling and crying, and I'm trying to comfort her and all of that. Now, at the end of her feet where Jen is starting to work on, my oldest daughter is holding a light to try to give the best light to get the splinter out. 
And as all of this is going on, all of a sudden, Jen looks to my oldest daughter, Jordan, who's holding the light and says these words. She says, Jordan, go sit down. It looks like you're about ready to pass out. Now, at that point, Jordan's lips are white. She looks pale. It's not going well. So I have to leave the one child, run around to try to help uh, my daughter sit down. I get her some orange juice, get her calmed down. When the next thing that happens in the midst of all of this is that Jen says, now you're the light person. So I go and I get the light and I start shining it for her and she digs it out and she finally got the splinter out and she saved Shiloh's life. But this is what I want you to know. I never got paid as a nursing assistant. Not that I'm having an issue with that, folks, but I think I should have got paid because Jen always has a way of kind of roping me in to these kind of things. Well, my wife's skill set is not just uh, limited to removing foreign objects. Uh, she also likes to take out warts. One day we were just talking to each other a few years ago, and I just flipped my hand like this, and she goes, you got a wart. I'm like, a wart? She's like, yeah, you've got a wart. And as she did for Shiloh, I'm going to take it out. But you know what? She didn't give me any numbing medicine. Just saying, she didn't give any compassion for me. And as she just started digging with nothing in there, tears start coming down my eyes. And these are her words of compassion. Suck it up, buttercup. Quit being a crybaby. I mean, that's the life of being in a doctor's family. Now, in both of those cases, folks, Shiloh had no idea that she had a splinter in her foot. And I had no idea that I had a wart on my hand. But imagine in both of those cases, if she would have said, or if we would have said to her, I don't want to be bothered with that splinter or wart. I don't care about it anymore. It's not a big deal. Uh, I'll just kind of ignore it. My life is manageable, all is well. I'm really not worried about what's in my foot or what's in my hand. It's manageable. Or what if Shiloh or myself would have told my wife, why did you tell me that I had that splinter? Why did you tell me that I have that wart? I mean, you are shaming my body right now. You're making me feel really bad. See, folks, We don't do that with our bodies, do we? We don't do that with our houses. We don't do that with our cars. We only do that with our souls. You know, I hate to admit it, but there are times in my life that I have a resentful temper. There are times that I have an undisciplined tongue. There are times that I have anger outbursts. There are times that I'm tempted to lust. There are times that I make money my ultimate God. Folks, people who know me really well can often see those things just like Jennifer saw the splinter or saw the wart. But many times, subtly or not so subtly, I let other people know that their kind of perspective is not welcomed. I don't want to hear from them. So I kind of just live this respectable kind of double life. I go to church and I pray, especially when I need something. 
I believe, even though sometimes that I have doubts, and sorry is mostly a word that I just kind of use to smooth over my relational issues or to try to control people so that I don't have to deliberately face the ugly truth that there's something with the sta- there's something wrong with the state of my soul. You know, sometimes I don't make God a priority or ask him for help with character flaws in my life. I don't always invite people to look at the hidden areas. But you know what I've noticed is that there are other people that don't do that either. They don't invite or ask other folks to come and to look at those blind spots in their lives. And I mean, God's okay with it, isn't he? I mean, he's good with it. Now, I hate to say this, but what I'm going to share with you right now, I want you to know that it's out of love. And this is what I want to say. You have a splinter. You have a wart. There is something that you have in your life that you don't see, but others see it. They really do. And the truth is, some of you have had these things, not just during this whole crisis, but you've had this kind of stuff for years and years and years, and you just haven't dealt with it. So my question is, will you choose to have God remove it and deliver you from it, no matter what the cost is, or will you pretend that it's not there and just hope that it kind of goes away on its own and you can get back to your normal routine? You know, I think for most of us, if we were honest, we would say, I don't want to look at those things, Chris. I mean, that's That's difficult things. That could be painful things to look at. I don't want to do it. There's a strange and kind of a scary uh, kind of story that's in the New Testament that talks about just how high the stakes are when it comes to this kind of thing. You see, after Jesus died and then he rose again and then he ascended to heaven, the church was formed and everything was going well until a wealthy couple came on the scene named Ananias and Sapphira. We find their story in Acts chapter 5, and it goes like this. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. He brought the rest of it and put it at the disciples' Now, think about this for a moment. Uh, The truth is, is that they did a really good deed. They took care of some poor people that were struggling with some stuff. They went ahead and they sold their property. If you think about it, they were kind of sacrificial in doing this. There was just one little issue, and that was they had a little bit of deceit. Just a small little bit, but nothing that big. I mean, it seems like it wasn't. A big deal at all. They kind of took care of the poor. They took care of those who were hurting. So no one really got hurt. So who cares if they just had a little bit of deceit? Well, the problem is, is that Ananias 
and his wife Sapphira are struggling with this. And then Sapphira, when he makes this decision, she chooses not to confront him. I mean, she could have said, hey, buddy, this is not what we should be doing. I mean, there's a splinter there. There's a wart there that needs to be removed. There's a defect in your character. Uh, I need to get out some medical instruments right now. We need to get this thing out. But she didn't. Instead, she says, oh, that's okay. That sounds like a really good idea. We can keep some of it for ourselves and only give some back to the church. Well, I don't know if you know what happened next, but it's kind of strange. Peter, the leader of the early church, he detects kind of this deceit in this married couple, and he confronts Ananias first. Peter goes up to him and says, dude, He's like, you know what, if if you didn't want to give all of the land, that's fine. You didn't have to do that. He said, you could have just kept, you know, the money for yourself if you wanted to. I mean, it's no big deal. Nobody was holding a gun to your head. It would have been fine. You see, folks, the real sin in this story was not kind of, you know, resentment or jealousy or greed. But the real sin was deceit. It was a decision To live a double life. You know, there's something about spiritual blindness that is so toxic to God's community. Because when you are deceiving other people, it's not just other people you're sinning against, but you're actually sinning against God as well. Well, the rest of the text goes on and says this. When Ananias heard this, He fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I mean, he just like died right there. I mean, and that's bad. But this story, folks, actually gets even worse. A little while later, Ananias' wife Sapphira is at home, and she's just like, hey, you know, church should have got out by now, whatever meeting they were at, and it hasn't yet, and, you know, it's date night, he needs to be here, and she waits a little longer, he's still not there, so she goes down to the church. When she gets to the church, she runs into Peter, and she says, hey, do you know where my husband is? And Peter goes, well, he was here a minute ago, and he gave us the proceeds For the sale of the land. And then Peter asked her, he said, now I just have one question for you. Did he give the full amount for the land? And Sapphira says, absolutely. Yes, he did. And then bam, she dies. I mean, it's like bam, he dies. And now bam, she dies. And she falls over dead and they carry her body out. And the text says this. Great fear seized the whole crowd and all who heard about these events. Do you think? I mean, seriously, do you think? It's like, bam, bam, two are down, they're dead. And this is just so strange. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, just a little bit of deceit, and this took place. Now, the question that I have is how in the world did this story ever get into the Bible? I mean, if you think about it, if you're trying to, like, grow the church, you would, like, 
make sure that those stories got moved out. You don't want, you know, like the, the slogan to be, you know, come to church, you just might die if you're deceitful. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody at all. And yet, this is the reason why I think God took this so seriously. You see, at the very beginning of the church, there was unprecedented power. There was power to forgive. There was power to heal. There was power to love. There was power to change people's lives. And power can be a great thing. But sometimes power can be dangerous too. And you need to know exactly where the power is operating. Because if you don't know that, it can be dangerous. There's a lady in our church who is a computer whiz. I mean, technology-wise, she knows how to fix anything to do with computers. And a couple of years ago, I was on my computer and it just died. I couldn't get it to, to boot up or anything. And I kind of figured that I needed to ask for some help. You know, last week we talked about help, so I didn't have a problem with that. Asked for some help, and she started going through this long list of different questions to try to dissect the problem. And she went through this list. There was absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden she said this, look down at your power strip. Is it turned on or off? And guess what? It was turned off. It wasn't even plugged in. Folks, here's what happened in the early church. The human race got plugged into the power of God. Because the Holy Spirit came, the human race got plugged into this source of power that they had never seen since the very beginning when it was in the Garden of Eden. And so here becomes our big question this morning, and it's this. How does spiritual power flow? How does spiritual power flow? Now, this is really important for you as an individual, for your relationships, and for us as a church as well. And here is what I see the answer being. Spiritual power flows when people get honest about their flaws and their sin and their need for God. Spiritual power flows when people get honest about their flaws and their sin and their need for God. Folks, now none of us can fully understand this. I mean, it's very counterintuitive. None of us can kind of control this. I mean, we think that when it comes to our spiritual life, it's about being great and strong and the straight and narrow and wise and smart. But actually, the power of God really flows through people who get serious about acknowledging their weaknesses, their sin, their guilt, their confusion, their need for God. In fact, God is really clear about this himself. One day, there's a guy by the name of Paul who uh, wrote close to half of the New Testament, and Uh, He is considered one of Jesus's closest followers and one day he gets a thorn in his flesh We're not exactly sure exactly what it is But it happens to him and God comes to him in the midst of this and this is what he says He says paul my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in 
And all of those of you in Yorktown, what, what is it perfect in? In weakness. I am perfect in weakness. You see, folks, we, we all have a tendency to be confused about this. We think we have to show people how strong we are. We think we have to show people how much we have it all together. No, 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 no. If you want power from God in your life, it's when you share your weakness. Uh, What grows a church, folks, is when people get honest, when they share their character defects, when they share their real stories and their real struggles and their real-time problems. And this is what has been my prayer, is that eventually we're all going to come back together and we're looking forward to inviting many of you who are new to come and to be a part here at the Civic. And whenever that day comes, what my prayer is, is that we would increase on being able to be honest and authentic about the weaknesses in our lives. Because when we do this, there will immediately be an increase in the flow of spiritual power. I mean, when we're able to say, you know what, I messed up this week, or I was tempted and I gave into the temptation, or I ignored God this week, that encourages the other people around you, and sin can get named, and people can get known, and people can be loved, and people can get healed. You know, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit and how it flows into human beings, just like you could talk about an electrical current flowing through wires. But when you hide, folks, it decreases your spiritual power. And my hiding, folks, it doesn't just affect me, but it affects everyone else around me when I hide. And when I hide, I block out and I impede honesty and change and the possibility for grace. Folks, the truth is we can always kind of sense when a person is hiding or pretending. It's easy to find someone who's wearing a mask and not being totally authentic, totally genuine, totally transparent with what they're going through. The truth is, you and I easily can see that in other people. It's just difficult sometimes for us to see it in ourselves. In fact, in the country that we're living in right now, there is this sense that many of us are hiding. We're kind of holding back. And yet Jesus said that when he would leave his spirit, That his spirit would actually come to comfort us and to take care of us. And on Pentecost, the birthday of the church, God started a new community where spiritual power flowed in unprecedented ways because people were willing to take off masks and stop hiding and pretending and to be true to who they were. That's why the story of Ananias and Sapphira is so important for us today. Because it's the first story of hiding In the early church. The very first story in the Bible is when Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. And now we see people hiding again. And the truth is, is that you and I have a tendency to hide as well. And no matter how you slice it, hiding 
and deception, it always leads to death. Hiding and deception, no matter how you slice it, it always leads to death. You know, in our country right now and throughout the world, we have seen 200,000 deaths due to the coronavirus. And many people, maybe many of you right now, you're there and you're fearful and you're scared that you could be next, that you could die. But let me just say this. Do not make your ultimate fear the fear of death. Do not make your ultimate fear the fear of dying. The story of Ananias and Sapphira reveals to us that what we should fear more than anything else is living a wrong life. We should fear becoming the wrong person. We should fear hiding. We should fear pretending. We should fear losing our soul. You know, one of my favorite hymns of all time is Amazing Grace. And there's a line in the hymn that says this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." I have a really good friend of mine who kind of had a difficult childhood, and uh, at the age of 13, he started drinking alcohol uh, regularly, every single day. And he did this for 34 years. And about 13 years ago, God came into his life and he stopped. He started shortly after that participating in our Celebrate Recovery program that uh, meets regularly, uh, usually on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. And as he started meeting there, he got healthier and healthier and healthier. And the thing I love about my buddy is that he lives in the knowledge that his healthiness has to have a fear connected to it. A healthy fear that apart from his everyday, moment by moment, asking for God's grace, he is just one choice, one drink away from death and hell. So he shared with me that when he comes to God regularly, the first thing he does is he says he's sorry for whatever bonehead things he's done throughout the day. And then secondly, he continues to ask and to pray, God help me, God help me, God help me. And through our Celebrate Recovery program, he has stayed sober this entire time. And he receives this deep sense of community that, pri- that provides for him an intense kind of spiritual power. And it all came through the fact that he chose to be honest where he's at. And when he can share his splinters, he can share his warts, that people love him and they encourage him to actually do that. Now, with the time that we have remaining, what I'd like to do is to simply have us try to learn how we could be the type of person to say that we're sorry and then to tap into the spiritual power of Christ. That we'd actually be able to kind of answer this question. What does it mean to live the word sorry with deep spiritual power before God and others? What does it mean to live the word sorry with deep spiritual power before God and others? Well, the first thing that you have to do is this. I ask God to search my heart. God, I ask you to search my heart. And scripture actually says this in the Psalms. Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is just kind of where you ask God for help. You set a time aside, or you set time aside to be able to say, God, right now I'm taking a moment simply to ask for your help. God, is there any place in my life that's been going sideways that I need to change? Whatever it is, God, I'm open to changing it. Sometimes what I'll do is actually go ahead and get the seven deadly sins and kind of put them out in front of me. And I'll say, God, is there any pride in my life? Is there any anger? Is there any lust? Is there any envy, gluttony? Is there any greed? Is there any laziness that's controlling my life? And then if God reveals anything to me, I write it down in my journal. Now, folks, this is not a diary of things. This is saying, God, is there anything that you could show me? And you write it down because you want to change. You want to get better. I do this almost daily. There's a section of my time where I just repent. It's a time where I say, God, I'm sorry for these things in my life. And I'll ask him, is there anything there? And if there is, I'll write it down. Now, is this painful? Yes. It's not the kind of journal that I want anyone else to see. But it's when I'm honest each day that I actually grow into the power and flow of God and I get closer to him. You know, I was thinking about this question this week. What does this world need more than anything else? Right now, where we're at, what does this world need more than anything else? And some of you would say, well, Chris, it's obvious, isn't it? We need a cure for the coronavirus. Or if you're in the business world or you've uh, not been able to work, you might say, we need the economy to be moving. Or you might actually say, well, you know, I just want a normal life again. Or for some of you, if you're really honest, you're like, I want Puerto Vallarta Mexican food. Like, I have missed this so much. That's what I need. That is what is needed more than anything else. So what is it? What is the answer to this question? What does the world need more than anything else? And you know what it is? Better people. We need better people. Not a better house, not a better car, not better governments. The number one need is better people. Now, this is what I want you to know. You can make a contribution to this. So, where should you start? Some of you might say, well, I need to start with my spouse or my friend or my roommate. I need to start with my kids. They're driving me crazy. I need to start with my boss. I need to start with my parents. No, 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 no. It's, it's none of them, folks. The person that you have the best shot of making a better person, guess who it is? It's you. It's you. For me, it's me. I need to get the splinter removed from my foot because I'm responsible for my foot. I need to get the war removed from my hand because I'm responsible for my hand. I must get the sin removed from my life because I'm responsible for my sin. Nobody else, just me. Folks, this is why we have a daily process of asking God, come and look at my heart. Search into it because I don't want to carry resentment 
or anger or shame. Because if I do, I know I'll never grow. So the first step is I ask God to search my heart. The second step is I admit my wrongdoing. Now, this is one thing that I know we all have in common. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. I mean, look in the room that you're in right now. You can look around and people are like, yep, I know it's dad, it's mom, it's this kid, it's that kid, whoever it is. Or you're looking and you're there by yourself. You're like, I guess I'm the only one. It's true. None of us like to be responsible. We don't want to admit that we're responsible for our own wrongdoing. We want to pass the blame. We want to give it to somebody else. We want to deny that it exists. We want to minimize it. But the truth is, folks, that you and I do wrong. And when we do, do we admit it? You know, David, the greatest king Uh, of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, is the only person in Scripture who was ever given this title, a man after God's own heart. And this is what words he gave. He said, I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my, my sin. I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sin. In other words, God, I admit it. I agree with you. It was dead wrong what I did. Now, folks, It's so important that you understand this next part. So listen up. When you sin, God isn't asking you to go into the wilderness for 30 days and beat yourself up. And some of you have a tendency to do that. That's not what he's asking you to do. He says whenever you sin, step up quickly and admit it. Don't let the sun go down on your sin. Admit it. That's why I always talk about every single day I spend time asking God, where are those areas of my life that I've sinned? Because I don't want it to go more than 24 hours. Take full responsibility for whatever it is. Agree that it was dark. It was avoidable. And yet the truth is you chose to do it. You see, folks, we want to blame anyone and anything else for the times in our lives that we mess up. We lose our temper, I blame my spouse. We don't get to a place on time, I blame my kids. You don't kind of meet the timeline for your work, and so you blame your boss. We just love to pass the buck to somebody else. I mean, if there's anything that we perfected in the human race, it is this, that we don't like to justify or we like to justify our wrong actions. We, we always want to justify some reason that we did it. We have perfected how to justify when we mess up. That's why David said that it's difficult to do this. It's difficult to step up and say, I admit it. I did it. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. So the first step is I ask God to search my heart. The second step is that I admit my wrongdoing. And the third step is I acknowledge my wrong and I try to make things right. I acknowledge my wrong and I try to make things right. You know, the truth is there are some of you who even before this whole kind of national emergency came, there are some things that you haven't made right in your life. 
and you need to do that. It might be with a parent. It might be with a kid. It might be with a friend. It might be with a brother or sister, but something in your life that you need to try to make right. I mean, if COVID kind of 19 has shown us anything, it's this, folks, that life is fragile. And you need to make things right with the people who you're closest to because that tends to be the ones that we tend to wrong the most. Now, some of you, like I said, even before this pandemic kind of hit, you had some people who you hurt or maybe they hurt you. But nobody has ever said, I'm sorry. You just kind of swept it under the rug. You just kind of hoped that it would go away. But there's a part of you right now that's like, I don't want to do that. And you can picture in your mind right now who that person is. Why have we not taken care of this? Are we going to pretend that this thing didn't really happen? That everything's okay? That deep down inside that I'm just going to let it go? Why won't somebody talk about it? Why doesn't someone Say the sorry first, and God is asking you to be the first to do this. For you to get a blue ribbon to be the first to actually walk across the room or pick up a phone and say, I'm sorry. You know, one of the things that you can't see where you're at right now is that there are people behind each of these cameras, and there's a sound booth in the back of people orchestrating everything that's going on. And some of these folks are our staff. Some are great volunteers who have just given their time and their energy and their life to make sure that you get this live stream and that we can share God's love and promote uh, his goodness to the entire world. And we've been able to see many lives impacted. The problem that you maybe haven't always seen is that There have been technology issues. Uh, I know, we hear from you. Uh, And those things happened in the early weeks, and there would be struggles, and we were trying to figure stuff out, and stuff just wasn't going right. And it was difficult for the band to get used to the cameras. And it was extremely difficult for me because I love people. I find energy with people. And so it was difficult to kind of talk to cameras. and, And I'm a control freak sometimes, I admit. And uh, one of the very first kind of sessions that we had, uh, one of our sound guys just started talking out loud in front of other people, and I'm trying to do it. It was during a rehearsal, so luckily you didn't see it. But while he was talking out loud, all of a sudden I got angry, and I yelled out. I was like, hey, what's your problem, buddy? Can't you see I'm trying to do God's work up here? Could you please be quiet? And he quieted down. We went and did the second thing, and everything was fine, and nobody knew about it, and I thought all was well. But every single Tuesday, I get evaluated, the band does, everybody does, on what we've done. And so during this evaluation, a person on the team, when they were evaluating me, said this, Chris, you were a little bit lippy in the rehearsal, and it doesn't help. Ouch! I mean, I can't believe this person said this. I mean, this was kind of offensive to me. 
Now, I want you to know that there have been other times that I have gone through an evaluation where I've gotten defensive and angry and upset and yelled and passed the blame to somebody else. But for some reason within this, I just kind of took it and I'm like, yeah, you're right. That doesn't help. I need to control that. And I said, well, first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I said sorry to everybody who was on that team. And then I apologized to the staff and the volunteers. But then I knew I still had to apologize to the sound guy who was kind of the culprit of all of this. And so I picked up the phone and I called him. I said, hey, Nate, I said, I just want to apologize for what I said uh, you know, during rehearsal, I kind of yelled and I, I, you know, that's not the kind of person I want to be. It's not the kind of pastor that I want to be. I'm so sorry. Um, will you forgive me? And this is what he said. No, you big jerk. <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, Nate's a great guy. And he actually said, oh yeah. He said, I didn't think anything of it. He goes, I work at different factories and people yell at me all the time and it's no big deal. And I'm like, well, I don't kind of want that kind of persona. You know what I mean? Well, he forgave me and everything kind of moved on because I said I was sorry. Folks, it's imperative that you acknowledge your wrongdoing and you make it right. And so now the big joke is when we're doing the rehearsal, people will come up and they'll say something like this. Don't get lippy, bunch. Don't get lippy. Today, some of you have someone that you've been lippy with. Somebody that you hurt, somebody that you said something to, and you need to make things right. I don't know who that person is. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a coworker. But there's somebody in your world, someone in your life that you need to seek forgiveness from, that you need to be the one who leads the I'm sorry. Maybe... You just need to pray and say, God, is there somebody that I'm not thinking of right now that I've offended or I've hurt in some way and to ask them to come and to help you through that? And I really do believe this, that if you're sincere and you do that, God will give you the opportunity. If you say sorry, God will give you the chance to make things right. Now, I just want to close by saying this. The evil one right now wants to tell you, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. There's no reason for you to do this. I mean, you're not like a moral train wreck. You're not a murderer. You're not a bank robber. You're not a jailbird. I mean, those type of people, they're the ones that need to say they're sorry. But your life, your life is manageable. I'm a decent, respectable person. I don't need to say sorry to anybody. I just want to remind you of this. That it was decent, respectable people that were enemies to Jesus. It was decent, respectable people that put him to the cross. It was decent, respectable people that tried to kill Jesus the church and as a recovering decent respectable person I have splinters I have warts 
And I need the God of the universe and people around me to be able to name what the blind spots are so that my life can look more like God. And I need to be the person who steps up to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. And I'll tell you, folks, nobody wants to do this. I don't want to do this. Nobody does. But this is where the spiritual power flows. And so I just want to ask you right now to take a moment and for you to ask God to search your heart. And if there's anything in there that's kind of dark or hiding, or you've hurt someone, that you would say, I'm going to admit my wrongdoing right now, and then that you would acknowledge what that is and make things right, whatever it is, that you would do it quickly. And so I want to give you a moment right now, just between you and God, you can close your eyes, maybe open up your hands to receive and say, God, if there's anything in my life that I need to be saying I'm sorry for, would you bring that to me right now? Let's take a moment now. God, thank you so, so very much for giving us this moment. A moment not to think about the crisis that we're in right now, but a moment to simply be with you. To just seek you, God, and to say sorry for whatever those things are that are separating us from you. Jesus, thank you for always forgiving us when we come to you. Thank you that you are never disgusted by those dark places in our life, but that you always welcome us with open arms as is. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your constant forgiveness. God, give us strength right now to ask for forgiveness of others and to say we're sorry. Whoever it is, whatever it is, help us not to go to sleep tonight before we actually take a moment to say that we're sorry and make things right. Help us to admit, to acknowledge those wrongs. In this crisis, God, help us actually to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, and to make things right. You know, I was thinking that there might be some of you right now who the truth is, is that the person that you need to say sorry to the most is God. You've kind of walked away from him. You've drifted away from him. And today is the day that you need to cry out and say, God, I'm sorry. So today, if you're ready to say sorry for the boneheaded things that you've kind of done in your past. And some of you, you know, it's, it's been some difficult things. There's things in my past that until I kindly went to the point where I said, I'm sorry, it never got better. And some of you could do that now. Maybe you destroyed a relationship. You cheated, you lied, you had an affair, 
you stole, you did something, and you've never been able to forgive yourself, and you don't think that God will ever be able to forgive you. And God says today, that's not the way it is. You come to me, and I'll give you forgiveness. Just come and say you're sorry, and I will forgive you. So today, if you're ready to surrender, if you're ready to say to yourself, I'm sorry, Jesus. I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your promise of eternal life in heaven. If you're ready to take that step right now, if you're ready to turn away from your sin and to turn towards God, I want to invite you into a prayer. And I invite you to pray this prayer and know that you don't pray it alone, but that there are hundreds and hundreds of people praying this because they want to get better at their sorries too. So if you're ready to begin your relationship with God and say, I'm sorry, I need you in my life, then I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, today I give my life completely to you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I need you to be in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life, God. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer for the very first time, I want you to know that all of heaven is celebrating with you. And if you want to, you can just kind of tap on that raise hand button on your platform, or you can go to the jar.org slash accept, and you can make a commitment there. Uh, If you need prayer for anything, uh, please let us know. Our hosts would love to be able to pray with you. They want to be there for you. Hey, if you're still working or you're getting ready to go back to work, please be safe. We're praying for you. If you can be generous and give to us in any way, we'd love to be able to do that to continue to impact lives. Folks, I just want to say this. You are loved. God is head of our hills in love with you. I'm praying for you. I look forward to seeing you next week. And have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.